Where were you on the evening of April 13th, 2018? It was a glorious evening. It was an evening where the Philadelphia Flyers went on the road to Pittsburgh and defeated the Penguins 5-1. Feels like decades ago. And since then, we've been treated to, well, sheer annihilation. Two consecutive games, now we are looking at a 3-1 series deficit. The Flyers have been outscored 10-1 over the last two games, including last night's performance, if you want to call it that, a 5-0 drubbing at home to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Anthony, um, this is this is becoming a pattern. Hey, um, Russ, Sean Couturier is a finalist for the um, for the Selkie Trophy. Well, that's great. Isn't that's that good, exciting. Isn't that, good news? isn't that exciting news today? Isn't that's... that like the good positive stuff we want to talk about today? Well, I was, you know, I was really excited to uh, to go on to Facebook and Twitter last night, and <laughs> and I, you know, there there I was just sitting there uh, reading people's comments about how, well, guys, so uh, you know, the Flyers really could have done a lot in this series, but um. Sean Couturier got hurt. Yeah, I know. I, I, you know what? We're going to do that today. We have to. We have to. Just because it's one of my favorite things to do, especially after the Flyers lose, is to just kind of go and, and give, give myself a good chuckle by reading Flyer fan Facebook comments. They are. There's nothing like it in the world. I'm telling you, it is. It is the. It is the elixir for anything that ails you. It is to read Flyer fan Facebook comments, and. Uh, we we definitely should do that during this during this um, episode. But I'll tell you, you know, you can really see the difference. I, you know, you not that it didn't matter that Sean Couturier didn't play in Game Four. Um, I mean, you see the difference with him not on the ice. But they could have had Couturier. They could have had um, any you name any great player in their past. Lindros, Bobby Clark. It wouldn't matter who was who was your top line center last night. They were not beating the Penguins because the rest of the team was so ill-prepared, was so lackadaisical, was so just ready to end this season. And in all honesty, I, I think we finally saw the Flyers hit that wall. And, like, they know they can't beat this team. Michael Neuver, after the game, um, first of all, no player was was readily available right as soon as we all got into the locker room. So we find ourselves standing around for a few minutes, which is fine. Um, you know, after a loss, you give the guys the room. I mean, they're supposed to open a locker room. The NHL rules are you have to open the locker room five minutes uh, after the game. I mean, so it's really not a lot of time for these guys to cool down. So what they do is they, they know we're coming in, and so they get their they get the hell out of Dodge, and they go, you know, somewhere where we're not allowed, and that's where they do their actual cool down. So you have... Us, a bunch of media people, cameras, all standing around waiting, waiting, waiting. And the first guy to come in is Michael Neuver, who really has nothing to say. What's this guy going to say? He came in in relief, right? Is that uh, your clock? No. <laughs> no. You know what that is? And I forgot to turn it off. Uh, that is my. That was my cell phone. That was my uh, the alarm that I usually use to wake up my son. But I woke him up a few minutes early so that we can do the podcast. Yeah. Um, so I heard the uh, clock go off on a cross up your uh, your baseball <laughs> podcast. Did did my heart a little bit of good. Anyway. Yeah, that, 
That was funny. So um, there you are. Michael Neuvert. So Neuvert. Neuvert comes back from injury for the first time, like, in his in his life, you know. Right? He's, he's never the, hurt. He's never been hurt or have to return to a team. So this is all new to him. And he's the first guy that they bring out. Like, I mean, what are we going to ask Michael Neuvert? And he comes into a game, they're down 3 nothing. He's got no prayer to save anything at that point. So, but the funny thing was is that he had a quote where they said to him something. I don't even remember what the, what the question was. It was so ridiculous and unnecessary. Um, but he has a quote, and he says, well, you know, they're just the better team. And then he realizes what he says, and he goes, uh, tonight. <laughs> and it was like, no, Michael, they are the better team. It's just that's all there is to it. I mean, they're just the better team. And this, so the players know it. And so that's what that's they've resigned themselves at this point to that fate that they are just not going to win this series because they are playing against a better team. And that's that's all there is to it. Now, you and I can sit here and say, well, that's simple, right? That's that's a simple logical explanation and and of course, you know, the better team is going to ultimately win more often than not in a, in a seven game series. But why does the team feel that way? Like I the competitiveness is what it was what bothers me. I don't care if they lose this series, right? They can lose it. They could have been swept. They could lose in five, six, seven. It doesn't matter. But the competitiveness is what bothers me. That as soon as they they face adversity, they kind of have gone into a shell against the Penguins. I'm, I'm telling you, as soon as that second goal was scored last night, they had that really great sustained offensive pressure for like two or three shifts where they really were close to scoring and tying that game at tying that game at one and it comes the other way um you know there's a turnover 2-1-1 Kessel comes down the wing fires the shot and it's a save that Brian Elliott has to make it hits like off the inside of his pad off of his skate off of the post and then in and even though it's a 2-1-1 it was it wasn't that hard of a shot if he if he if he makes that save they're still in this game but the, as soon as that goes in, you could see it. From everybody on the bench, the faces of every player, they knew they were done. And, and yeah, there was a lot of game left, and it was only a two-goal deficit. But they knew then they were done. And so that's that's what bothers me because there's a there's something that you can't let your team get that way. And I don't know if you want to blame that on leadership, if you want to blame it on the coach, if you want to blame it on general manager. I mean, whoever is is responsible. I mean, probably they all share the blame in some capacity. But you can't let that happen. You can't. You're in the playoffs for for Pete's sake. You got to be able to compete. You're, two nothing is nothing in hockey with, you know, all that time. You're still in the first period of the game for Pete's sake. So anyway, there's just a lot to kind of unpack in this, and and I think a lot of this comes down to Dave Hackstall, and I think anybody who writes about the team, anybody who talks about the team, is going to uh, you know continue to pile on Dave, but. It hasn't been a good showing for his teams in the postseason. You had a stat that we talked about before the uh, before we started recording. I don't know if you want to share that with the people about losses under Dave Hackstall. I mean, it's it's bad. So they've played ten games in the playoffs with Dave Hackstall as coach. Um, six against the Capitals two years ago, and then four so far against the Penguins. Uh, the Flyers are three and seven in those ten games. Now, yeah, it's not a great record, but at the same time, I mean, you know, we're, the team's in the middle of somewhat of a rebuild and retooling, or whatever you want to say. And they play two tough teams in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, to lose seven of ten, not great, but it's not the end of the world either. However, in the seven losses, the Flyers have been outscored thirty to three. 
Think about that. Let that sink in for a second. They've did been you, outscored just, in the just to clarify, to clarify for losses. the people, did you say 13 as in 1-3 or did you 30. say 30 as 3-0? Three, zero. Three, zero. Three, 10 zero. times the amount of goals. They've been outscored 10-1 to one in, th- in seven lo- playoff games. Playoff games, they've been outscored 10-1. to one. That, You cannot have that. That's To me, that is an indication of a coach who is outmatched by his competition. And and the, you look at the two coaches who he's lost to and is losing to. Um, Barry Trotz, who's never won a Stanley Cup with Washington. I mean, but I mean, he was a longtime coach in Nashville, was always considered you know, a really cerebral, sharp, smart coach. Um, he's been coaching in this league for since Nashville's inception, so it was when they came in the league in what two thousand three, I think it was. So he's been around for fifteen years, um, and and you know he had no problem matching up against Haxtell. As a matter of fact, that's a three nothing lead in that series. People remember, and Flyers then won two in a row before losing Game Six. And now Mike Sullivan, who's a two time Stanley Cup champion. So I mean, there, he is going up against good coaches, but you have to at least show something. In return, I mean, some kind of competitiveness. That's what I'm saying. It's just, it's just, it's so. Every time you go out there in the playoffs, as soon as the team gets down, they they just pack it in, and it doesn't make any sense to me. I, like, as an athlete, you would think that you would you would have such a competitive drive that you would want to keep coming back, and you would want to keep doing, you know, keep going, keep pushing, try, 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 try. And you can just see it last night. I mean, the last two periods, we were, I, would, I could have played solitaire the last two periods. I wouldn't have missed anything. Like, it was, it was so awful. Awful. That, you know, I'll give you an example. This playoff series that just ended the other night, um, Vegas and, and LA Kings, four-game sweep. Vegas swept the Kings in four games. All four games were one-goal games. All four games were incredibly exciting, were really well played by both teams. The game was in doubt in the third period late. Each game, and Vegas won. And to their credit, they played they played great defense and had some great goaltending by Mark Andre Fleury. But every game, the Kings were right there, even down three zero in the series. They're pushing and pushing and, pu- and trying to win that game four. Y- you just didn't si- you don't see the same thing out of the Flyers. And why not? That's the biggest question. Why not? Well, you know, getting back to uh, an idea that we had in the beginning of the show, Facebook comments. So this this one, I think, kind of falls in line with what you're saying. This guy said, I expected a visible talent gap going into the series. I didn't expect this disgraceful lack of effort. And and like that, to me, I think is is the most egregious part. And I, th- I think, you know, we made the joke after game one that the most memorable moment that Dave Haxall had in that game was when he, uh, I think it was after the sixth goal was scored, Dave Haxall st- struck a Captain Morgan pose on the bench. And we said, well, you know, that's kind of indicative of the way the guy acts on the bench. They're getting slaughtered. There's no fire. I mean, this is a a situation where Laviolette or Tortorella or pretty much anybody with a pulse is probably going to rip into their team. You know, like at some point, you've got to get in the guy's faces and get them get them reset. I mean, even in game three, Hackstall came out after the game and said that after the, the Penguins scored their third goal, he realizes now that he should have used a timeout. But he didn't want to waste the timeout because he wanted to save it for later. It was like it's it, that that to me was I think just beyond stupid logic. You know, they they went up three nothing in that game, and it and it felt so much like uh, 
all, all they needed in that moment was to collect themselves. And if Dave is going to be this, you know, calming force, and that's the way that he wants to lead this team, which, by the way, I don't think works. If he's going to be this calming force and get them set in a timeout, then fine. Like, you need to do it before the game gets away because you're not scoring four goals against Pittsburgh. I mean, I know you did it once. You scored five, and that was fantastic. And, like, everything went right in that game. You played about as perfect of a game as you could, uh, all things considered. You're certainly not going to do that game after game. So, like, to me, the the, the moment that this team goes down 2 nothing, 3 nothing, like, and and we're not even in the third period yet, like, it's kind of a, a harbinger of, of awful things to come. There's no way for them to, to kind of turn this thing around. And, you know, at some point as a player, and maybe this comes back to your competitive edge thing, as a player, you at, at least at times look to draw some kind of energy from your coach or your coaching staff. And when you look at that bench, there's no energy whatsoever. I mean, it, it, it looks like a march of the dead, right? It, it looks like... <laughs> I've seen more emotion on the face of the White Walkers than I did on, on Dave Hackstall and his coaching staff. And so, you know, by the way, well, no, I, I'll, I'll get back to God Bless America in a little bit. But, like, <laughs> can we really put it to bed now, finally? I mean, anyway, I don't, like, don't want to go on a tangent yet. Go ahead. But, like, it, you know, it's just upsetting to me. It, it, like, look, we talked about how there are young guys going into their first playoff series, right? And I think they're the ones who, you know, if, if Dave was thinking that by being low-key and even keel, that it's going to help the Nolan Patricks and the Oscar Lindbloms and the Travis Konechnys of the world uh, by not getting too emotional, not getting too upset, not getting in their face, if he feels like they emotionally can't handle it, which I don't know, um, then, then fine. Like, I guess for those guys that works. But then shouldn't you be motivating your vets? Like... At, at what point does, you know, I, th- I think um, at, towards the end of the regular season, there was a game that uh, you had pointed out, Jake Voracek kind of went around the bench, and uh, maybe it was the Rangers game. He went around to the bench and he said, guys, it's okay, like we're going to get back in this and motivated the team. I don't see that. I don't see that coming from the vets. I certainly don't see the younger guys uh, looking like they're, you know, I, I think maybe they're afraid to be out of line by trying to, over, you know, motivate their team. I think Nolan Patrick on the ice was a motivating factor. I mean, like he... He looked like maybe at, at times the only guy who seemed to give a damn. And, and that, I mean, that says a lot about his character. That says a lot for me about his potential leadership in the future. And it's certainly something that I'm, I'm happy to see as a fan. But, man, like the, the fire's just not there. And when you look at, at your coach and your coach is, you know, a lamppost, I, I don't know what you can really take from him. Yeah, you know, it's not every day that you get into a playoff series and the fans start chanting fire the coach. And they did last night. I mean, that that goes to show you that the, the fans are frustrated. That you, there has not been progress with a very key element to the sport of hockey, and that require hockey is a game driven on emotion a lot of times. Yes, it's it's a game of turn. I we, we always talk about it. Well, you know, what, how do you win in hockey? Well, you got to take advantage of your opportunities. Well, what are opportunities? Opportunities come from turnovers because there are so many turnovers in the game. There's so many mistakes that happen in hockey. It's just the game is fast. It's played on ice. It's going to happen. Okay, so that's how the game is is physically won. But it's such an emotional game, and it requires that emotion to be ramped up at times. Momentum. You know, we talk about you're talking about momentum in other sports. I don't. I don't necessarily buy it. Okay, um, you you can play great defense in basketball, I guess, and kind of get the momentum going in your direction. But the fact of the matter is, you still have to hit your shots. Okay, the shots are still the same percentage chance of hitting that shot. Right, 
and you talk about momentum in baseball. Well, I mean, okay, you can sit there and say it's contagious because you've got to pass the bat and everybody hits, woohoo. But the fact of the matter is, is that you still have to go up there and you got to hit a 95 mile an hour fastball or hit a, hit a, hit a breaking ball or play the game the right way. Um, and, and even in football, I mean, momentum is, again, it's, it's so back and forth and there's more scoring. So in a sport like hockey, and I would say, and I would bet you could say address this as well in a sport like soccer, a lot of times it is you have to find another way to create that momentum, okay? And creating, you're not going to score a ton of goals, so that's not the way to create the momentum. The momentum has to be created by the the other stuff you do and other ways you play, and and a lot of times with hockey because it's a more physical sport, it has to be created um, with emotion. And, and, you know, the emotion of the game and, the, and how you're playing, if you have to go out and make a hit or go out and, you know, do something that skate faster, skate harder. I mean, the loudest that crowd was in that game last night, game four, was when they had that sustained um, shift where the, they were in the penguin zone and they couldn't get the penguins could not get out of the zone, couldn't get the puck out of the zone for it was over two and a half minutes. It was really long. And that crowd was fired up. I mean, if Penguins were clearing the puck out of the zone and that place was on its feet, the Flyers didn't score a goal. They did nothing to to change the, the score of the game. But they ha- that's momentum. You see what I'm saying? And that's born from the energy and emotion of the way you're playing. And they don't do it. They could do it in fits and starts and, and little bursts. But they they don't do it. They can't sustain it beyond that. And that that's where you sit there. And you're right. I mean, just go back to Laviolette. I mean, you don't have to go back that far. Just go back to Laviolette and just think about how he was when that would happen. Take him. I'll take you to the playoff game, Game Seven in Boston. They get down three nothing in Game Seven. He calls a timeout. He calls the team over, and rather than like lay into them because they're playing terrible in Game Seven after fighting back in a series. He sits there and says, just get one before the end of the period. Come on, guys. That's all we need. Just get one. You guys can do this. You have the energy. And he's like, you can see he's very, you know, um, he's very, it's very obvious. He's wearing his emotion on his sleeve. But he, but he's not yelling at them. He's encouraging them to just get one. Because if they get one, now it's a two-goal game going in and you got two periods left. And that's all it took. Van Riemsdyk scores the one goal. They go into the intermission down 3-1. You don't feel as bad as if you're down 3 nothing. And then they get two in the second, and then Gagne scores the game winner. And you know, the, you know, the, the momentum builds off of the emotion of the coach in that instance. And so you give the team credit because they are the ones that are actually doing it, and they're the ones that are actually playing the game. But sometimes a coach can sit there and create that momentum and emotion for you. And we get nothing. Dave Haxall's got the same expression whether they're playing the best game of their lives or playing the worst game. Nothing changes with the guy at all. And I, I think that the team is confused by that, and they don't understand why they get nothing in return from the coach. There's nothing to say. <laughs> I mean, seriously. It, it, it's, you're, you're spot on, and it, it's, it's awful. I mean, like, look, I think, I think most people who listen to this show and, and most people, I, I like to assume that most people have played a sport of some sort, even if it's at a youth league level, um, before deciding that sports aren't for them. Uh, it, I, I don't know. Like I, I coach, I used to play, not hockey. Uh, obviously I'm not tough enough to play hockey. Um, <laughs> also we didn't have ice where I grew up. That's not also not totally true. Um, but you look to your coach. 
And when there's when there's nothing coming from your coach and there's nothing coming from the bench, there's nothing coming from your teammates, and it looks like you're just um, you know, biding your time until you go off on your off season retreat. Um, there, there's not a whole lot to do. I'm, I'm looking forward to, and I, I know this is going to be a thing. And especially now that Couturier is now a finalist for the Selkie trophy. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for the media scrums and the, uh, the, um, press conferences to really kind of highlight the, the fact that Sean Couturier did not play last night. And what a big loss that was for the team and how that's just so difficult to overcome. And that that's going to go, like, as we go into the offseason, that that's going to become Ron Hextall's and Dave Hextall's excuse is, oh, well, you know, we thought we were really going to turn it around. You know, you have home ice, uh, game four, you know, you had a real chance to uh, to tie up the series, and then Kutz goes down there, and, uh, you know, uh, it's it's just a, a, a lick of bad luck. It's like, well, no, there, there's so many things. Like, look, is Couturier maybe the most important player in the series? Yeah, I, I think you could make a, a legitimate argument for that. But... Is there any excuse to go out and get shut out on home ice? No. And 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 here's here's the other thing. And I, I don't want this to be a pile on on this guy specifically. But Claude Giroux had 102 points in the season. And I know that, that some of the analytics guys like to point out the, the fact that he's driving play and that it's just like he's getting unlucky. And that's fine. And if, if you're somebody who likes to sit down and look at the numbers and, you know, likes to try to build the case that a guy's just unlucky and at some point the levy's going to break. That's fine. However, all the numbers in the world don't give you a point on the on the board. And when you're getting shut out at home, it doesn't matter if, if Claude Giroux is unlucky. It doesn't matter if Jake Voracek is unlucky. They haven't scored a goal. I mean, Claude Giroux, after four games now, has one assist in the series. And for a guy who is your leader, who was your point leader, who had a resurgent season that we've you know lauded him for uh since we started doing the show and i think we've done pretty much all year on twitter and you and your articles it 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 really is coming up small and it's it's not something where i'm going to kill him for it but it is a little bit disappointing and you know like i said before when nolan patrick looks like he's the only guy out on the ice who really looks like he cares at at you know even halfway through the second period into the third period he's out there fighting for everything Regis McGuire in between the ices <laughs> or between the glasses you know pointing out how how tough Nolan Patrick looks I mean I I, I don't know I I kind of feel like if if Hackstall's not going to lead the team then something falls on Giroux to fire the guys up and maybe he tried and I missed it but I certainly don't remember seeing a cutaway of Giroux you know really getting into it with his teammates now is it because everybody wants to be kumbaya Again, like this again, this comes back to a thing I said earlier, but is it because the young guys can't handle it? Like, is this something where um, we're kind of looking like, what was it in, in 2010? There was like the Pronger Giroux dust up in the in the locker room. Uh, like, are, are we looking at something like that where these young guys just can't handle the, the pressure? Is it that they 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 don't react well to having somebody in their face? Like, I, I don't I don't know, but it it just feels like everybody like is, is everybody just a special snowflake? Is that what's happening? <laughs> well, I mean, we, we you know, you, you just gave me a lot to talk about there. But I, I would sit here and say to you that um, the, the young guys have not played great, other than Patrick. I think Patrick's been really good. We've you've said it and you've you've pointed it out, and in a lot of ways, I mean, I think he was their best player last night for sure. Um, but I think he's had a really decent series as far as um, how he's uh, how he's played overall. Um, the rest of the the rest of your young player, and I, I mean, when you say young, are we talking about experience or young in age? It doesn't matter. 
the the younger players on this team have just really not lived up to the billing. And that's okay. I mean, we've talked about it. It's, you know, you, you can't expect them to to carry you. I mean, everybody screams for them to be in the lineup, screams for them to be in the lineup, and here they are in the lineup, and they're just getting their doors blown off, okay? Um, and and that, as far as I'm concerned, that's okay. But you, you, can't, you can't have expectations beyond what they're capable of. As far as Giroux, I, I really think that they recognized – Finally, it took them three games, but finally recognized that they needed to put another skill person on a line with Giroux and Couturier. Oh my God! Well, we talked what? about it, Russ. I mean, what? I really you mean wish, Michael Roffel's not that guy. I really wish that Couturier's injury didn't happen. Not because I think he would have been a difference maker, but because the lines that they had finally put together um, in practice and they were going to use for Game Four were the lines that we discussed on this very podcast prior to this playoff series starting that you know if the, instead of trying to spread the the um, talent through three lines to really kind of condense them onto two and then shorten the bench and play that, those lines a little bit more and he was putting Voracek back up with Drew and Couturier and had Konechny playing on a second line with Patrick and um, and he had him with Simmons. Now I I had suggested with Lindblom, although Lindblom's been really terrible in the in the playoffs. So maybe you know Simmons is more responsible. Okay, fine. Um, but the fact fact of the matter was is that they were trying to put all of their eggs into the baskets that they needed to be in, as opposed to you know hiding them in the yard. Um, and then Radko Gudis goes and crushes Couturier and, and takes him out. And so now now you're left with you know. Your second line is once again Val Philpolos, Wayne Simmons, and Travis Konechny, which is not a good combination of, the, of those three players. So um, I think Giroux, the, what, the, what is what the Penguins are doing really well on him is they are they're letting him come into the zone, they're letting him drive the play. If you look at the statistical measurements, so he is driving the play, but they're really taking away sh- um, high percentage shots. So Drew is taking shots from much further away than he's used to. Um, they're they they're keeping him uh, out of his uh, happy zone. He really can't create in the circles. That's where he really does his damage. Um, they really defend that area well, um, and, and the Flyers don't have an answer. And, and the reason that they don't have an answer is because they don't have another. They don't they don't have a, a talented enough trio to really force the issue to really make the Penguins make decisions defensively. Um, you know, Patrick for all as well as he played, and, I, and the reason he got all the shots is because they were taking away Voracek and Giroux. So Patrick was the guy that they said, okay, well, if somebody's going to shoot, we'll let it be him. And he led the team in shots last night, and that's the reason why is because the way that the Penguins' defense kind of took trying to take away Giroux and Voracek, to and Pat, Patrick's the one that's left open, right? So he's leading the team in shots, um, and that's probably why he, he's a little bit more noticeable in a bad game than than say anyone else is. Um, but the fact is, is that they that's how the Flyers have to the reason Giroux Giroux had a great season. I'm not going to I'm not taking anything away from it. I think he's a Hart Trophy. He should win the Hart Trophy. I thought that he willed this team to the playoffs. They're not a playoff team and he willed them there. Um but I'll tell you that a reason that he had an opp- the opportunities he had was one, he was now operating from a part of the ice that teams weren't used to him operating from. So it took him a while to kind of figure out where Giroux was. Um and two, um, Drew always had two quality 
players on the ice with him in Couturier and Voracek and then eventually Couturier and Konechny. So it's a combination of both things. And, and you give him credit for taking advantage of those situations and being the second leading scorer in the NHL. Um, but it's because, he, it's because it's, you hear coaches say this all the time, Russ. You hear the coaches say, you know, and this is a great Andy Reid, we, we always need to put our players in the best position to make plays. And, and it's, the tr- it's, it's very cliche, but it's true. And what the, fl- the one thing Hackstall did really well this year was put Giroux in position to make the plays he needed to make. And you put a player of that skill and talent in that position, he's going to come through for you more often than not. Well, you don't, you didn't ha- you don't have that in the playoffs because you, didn't, you decided in the first three games not to put that extra good player on the first line, and then you lost your big center. And so, you know, Giroux's out there working his butt off. He's trying. It's not like he's, you know, kind of slowly just limping into the offseason. He's out there, and he's hustling. He's skating. He's trying. He just can't get his his shots because the Penguins are taking him away and saying, you have no one else to beat us. And that's it. So that's that's the answer to that. I mean, once again, it comes right back to the coach. And I, I hate belaboring the same thing over and over again because players do make mistakes and players are responsible for that on the ice. And we could sit there and we can we can identify each individual. I thought Shane Gossespierre had a terrible game last night, for example. I thought he had ter- too many turnovers. He was out of position. Um, he got caught like you know, he's his head is constantly on a swivel. I mean, I, he's he just didn't have a very good game last night. And and that's the best defenseman on the team, if you ask the media. Um, and Hextall ended up splitting up that pairing too. Yeah, yeah. He, well, he Which, has to try. I mean, like try I something. know that he's got to shake things up, but he's got to try something. It really does. I mean, it's just, it's just it, at this point, it's, but that's rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic is what that is. Okay. Can we talk uh, about the defensive pairings really quick? Like, yeah. I know Robert Haig isn't, is not a world beater, but Brandon Manning through three games had essentially been on the second defensive pairing in terms of, yeah. le- of leading the team in minutes. Mm-hmm. And I can't wrap my head around it. We've talked about this a million times, but like, Brandon Manning as as a guy who's supposed to even be like on on your team, like on your active roster, just is a little bit perplexing. Like he should probably be in the press box or down in the AHL. The idea that not only is he not the sixth defenseman, but he's he's uh, I think he was third or fourth uh, among defensemen on this team in playoff minutes. I don't understand it. I can't wrap my head around it, and I don't understand why. Like I, I know that Dave doesn't like that Travis Sanheim is, you know, a, allegedly a defensive liability as a defenseman, or if that's just a thing that he likes to say because, you know, he's young and he doesn't want to have to, you know, give a good reason for him not playing. But, like, why is Brandon Manning getting second pair of minutes? So the, the mistake here on the coach's part is this. Right now, I mean, Travis Sanheim still got room to grow, but right now he's a third pair guy. I mean, and that's – I'm not saying this to – belittle him or anything like that I mean he just he does make mistakes but he so you want to kind of control his minutes so what they're doing what he did which I don't get is he put him and Sandheim and McDonald made them the third pair which maybe they should be the third pair but you don't have a real second pair instead he put Gudis and and Manning into second pair minutes which is the worst thing you could possibly do so if you wanted if you were concerned about Sanheim and the minutes. Okay, maybe Sanheim shouldn't be playing as the amount of minutes yet. He's still kind of feeling his way and finding his way. Okay, fair enough. So then, why not just split him up? I mean, Andrew McDonald isn't a second pair defenseman, but he can he can pass as a second pair guy 
if you need him to because he's been around. He's a veteran guy, okay? So And he doesn't make as many mistakes as everybody seems to make it out to be. He does make his share, but he's not as bad as, as, as Flyers Twitter fires it off to be. Um, so maybe you split the two, and maybe you play um, Gudis and, uh, and McDonald together. They're not going to move the puck much, but they're going to play at least play solid defense in their own end for the most part. And you play Sandheim with Manning, which is I know it seems frightening, but you you can't have Manning playing the kind of minutes he has. Now I will say this: for the first time in the playoffs, Robert Haig took warmups last night. It's a little known, little talked about thing, but that tells me that they are thinking about that decision, and they kept Haig out of the lineup. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in Game Five for somebody. I'm not convinced it's going to be Brandon Manning. <laughs> I think it might be for Travis Sanheim, in all honesty. Great. Great. <laughs> but, but Awesome. But what they, could I, possibly go wrong? We <laughs> haven't watched an entire season of this crap. Absolutely. Let's have – I. you know what? Like, this is the thing I don't get, Anthony. Like, I don't. I, I don't understand it. And I know that Dave Haxall is going to keep his job, and it's going to drive me nuts, and I don't get it. I don't understand. Like, Sanheim at least gives you, you – know, like, look, I, I get that he's not your best defensive defenseman which uh, is something that Shane Gosses bear got killed for. Right. Uh, what was it last year when he was getting sent up to the press box? Like that was his thing. And then at some point Dave Haxel was like, Oh, you know what? I guess there's some value in a guy who can, uh, you know, push play, get into the offensive zone and, you know, create chances. Huh? I guess, I guess that's not bad. I guess that's not, you know, a sign of the antichrist. Maybe I should allow it to happen. Like Sanheim, like if nothing else, I think is going to be able to give you a boost in the offensive zone. I mean, certainly you're not going to be able to to stop Pittsburgh from scoring. You've only done it in one game. The rest of the season, they've scored what five goals against you at least in in, in all of their wins. So, um, I'm not too worried about having guys who are the best defensive defensemen. Uh, that's just not something I care about right now. So give Sanheim the minutes. This is, I guess, the other part of this. Give the young guys the minutes because clearly the series is over. Or if you are able to go into Pittsburgh and steal Game Five, the series is is still likely very much over. So give the young guys the playoff reps. Give them the experience of what it's like to play in the postseason. Like I, I know that there were people on Twitter and people on Facebook who were irate last night saying, "Well, you know, it it probably would have been better for the Flyers to miss the playoffs." To be honest, because this this just isn't a good showing, and I can't disagree with it anymore. Um, the the idea here that you know the Flyers and their youth and everything are, are getting embarrassed and, and that's not worth it. No, like there's something to be said for experiencing the playoffs for the first time. I mean, it was something that we talked about going into the series. It's something that every, every pundit I think talks about every year about any team with, with young players. I would much rather them get the experience in this series. If it's even only five games and be ready for a postseason run next year or a, a deeper postseason run in two years because they know what to expect from the postseason. Then for them to have their first experience next year or in two years when, like, let's say they're a top four team and, like, they're a legitimate top four team. It's not because of the way that the seeding works in the NHL because God knows they might change it again by then. But, like, if this team is a legitimate Eastern Conference contender of some sort, I don't want that to be the year that these guys are getting their first playoff experience. And has it has it not worked out for Oscar Lindblom? No, like, he, he's looked pretty awful. But, you know, there was obviously like an adjustment period of him coming to North America in the first place. There was an adjustment of him, you know, getting regular season minutes with the team. And now like the playoffs are a totally different beast. So I'm not surprised that he's struggling. I mean, I think it's been great for Konechny. I mean, you think about the goal that he scored a couple games ago where he came in, 
uh, was right off the bench, right? He goes in. Yep. It's the diving goal. It's a beautiful moment. It's a it's an exciting play. It's exactly why you wanted Travis Konechny on the top line and not Michael freaking Rafflecopter. Um, like I, it, there's something to be said for these guys getting minutes. I mean, Provorov, Gossespierre, they look great. Um, you know, maybe not Gossespierre so much, but Provorov's had some great moments in in this series and. Ultimately, like the young guys need to get the experience. In a few years, a lot of these, you know, veteran leaders like Yori Laterra and Val Philpola won't be here, and they're going to be replaced by younger guys and guys who are in the minors right now. And and in those postseason runs, that can be their first experience. But I'm actually happy. Like all things considered, this Pittsburgh team is an exponentially better team. They're a more talented team. Michael Neuvert is totally right. They are the better team. The people who came into the series expecting the Flyers to take it seven or the Flyers to somehow like win it in six. I thought they were delusional the entire time. I picked the Penguins to go on and win the Stanley Cup in our in our bracket challenge, which has uh, 16 entries, which was actually not that that bad for uh, when we announced it and and when the uh, the deadline was. It was, so it was like they it was, had like, it was like they two had like hours, 20 minutes. Yep, <laughs> yep, it was something like that. And I can, and to make it even worse is I didn't even put mine in. <laughs> uh, you're just, I'm not. I would be. I would be number 17. I you're just forgot really. To put, I just put my picks out awful. on the air. I just didn't. I didn't put them actually on the website. It's so. just not good. It's not a good. Yeah. Look, Anthony, I want to I want to get to a Facebook comment really quick that I that I saw. This is my favorite one last night. Go ahead. Does anybody else agree it's time to pass the torch? Trade G, Simmons, Jake, and all these other bums, and give Konechny the C, Provi the A, and Patrick the A. This is the exact kind of Flyers fan that drives me insane. Yeah. I mean, like, insane. And luckily, I was actually surprised by this, but in the comments section of that that post. There were no fewer than, I think, 40 people who said, you need to leave this Facebook group right now. <laughs> like, Giroud just had 100, 102 points. Voracek just had, uh, was it a career high in points? I mean, he was he was up there. Um, they're like, okay, Simmons, Simmons hasn't had a good year, but we still love Simmons. We're still attached to Simmons. But, like, are you out of your freaking mind? And, like, yeah, why don't we just give give the C, give the A's to, to a bunch of young guys? It's, you know, it, it always works out. I don't know what could possibly go wrong. Like, yeah, pass the torch, pass the C, pass the A's, uh, you know, trade. You know what? At this point, Claude Giroux hasn't done anything in this postseason run. You might be able to get a second round pick for him. Good on you, fella. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Voracek would get you, what, a fourth round? That's fine. Yeah, good. <laughs> the good fans, value. Fans crack me up. I, I, I like people. this one. I, like I really this hate one too. people. You ready for this one? Please forfeit now. That way, the pens have to refund their ticket sales. Don't get the concession revenues, and NBC <laughs> doesn't get the drool over Crosby that night. <laughs> oh, they're the best, man. They, I'm telling you, it is the it is the tonic that we need to make our day better. To sit down and read Flyer fan comments um, on Facebook, it's it's just such a such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And there's there's so many, but we should read a few more. You got a, you got another one on your end? Uh, I'm typing something up. You have <laughs> you have one right in front of you? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, so there's this guy. Um, I by I'm by no means blaming Elliot 100. Oh percent But boy. can someone please explain to me? Um, uh, my emphasis is his emphasis. Why we have the supposed god of a goalie in heart, and he's still in the AHL because we're clearly doing so much better not and he's going to get so much NHL experience down there fuck off with your he's not ready comments <laughs> so there's so much wrong with it this is so he's not in the AHL he's never been in the AHL he's in junior hockey he's not allowed to play in the NHL um <laughs> 
these guys don't get it. They just don't understand. They're supposedly fans and know nothing about the sport. It just that's what my favorite thing about these people. This one is uh is motivational. <laughs> this is from an hour ago. So this is like somebody woke up at like five AM to post this. Here's where I'm at. You hit guys. Hard. Not dirty, but hard. You move them. They see you coming and they flinch. It's all about playing hard. If you're aggressive in attack, your opponent is defensive. How many slick passes across the slot does Crosby make? How many simple wraparounds with the goalie facing the wrong way? You eliminate the pretty plays by making them outwork you. But you go in with the mindset that they won't work. You push play. If you lose 2-1, they respect you. Damn, that team worked hard tonight. You go out there and try to match skill set with an elite and experienced playoff team, they laugh at you. I actually agree with that. At least in, in some, in, at least in a little bit of it. All I thought though, when he was like hard, hard, came back to Goon. Love them. I, I love quoting Goon. You gotta, you gotta play hard. Biceps, triceps, arceps, hard. I'll let the uh, the fans of that movie finish the rest of it. Start with Greek, and we'll go from there. I, I, I got another one. I got a guy who blamed the fans. Yes. The oh, because they were quiet. Oh, it's the fans' fault. Ready for this one? Okay. Maybe the Flyers will have more success playing in Pittsburgh where there won't be as many whiny, sissy-ass fruitcake fans there <laughs> booing their own team. Great job taking the fire out of our own players. <laughs> I will say, though, Anthony, you know, like in, in um, I think it was game, it was game three. The, uh, the commentators did note that the place had gone practically silent. And I know, uh, and this is a, an issue that I've brought up on Crossing Broadcast before, but... You know, for a city that likes to beat their chest about being the best fans, when one thing goes wrong, the arenas get silent. Uh huh. And it drives me insane. And, like, people like to usually fight back with that, well, give us something to cheer about. And that's fair to an extent. But, you know, if, if you're looking at the bench and your coach isn't motivating the players, I mean, you've got 20,000 of your best friends in that arena. All it takes is a little bit to get the energy going. You know, Vegas has had an amazing season, and part of that has just been the amazing atmosphere that their arena creates. And there are, I mean, they're an expansion franchise, and I would say that right now, their crowd as a whole is a better crowd than this Flyers crowd. Because it's not like they're just cheering when their team is up. They are motivating their team back in. I mean, this is one thing that, you know, uh, the soccer comparison, you know, if a team is losing, their supporter section starts singing again. Yeah. They they get the chance going. They they build the arena. They build the stadium into you know what should feel like a home field advantage. And right now, the home field advantage, the home ice advantage, doesn't work for the Flyers. It doesn't exist. It's only there when one when something's going well. And the second that that Pittsburgh scores, you can just hear. I mean, you're there, so you'd have a better idea of if maybe it's just not the the TV cameras picking up the sound, but it it just feels like they pop the bubble, and all the air you know escapes from the place. And then another goal gets scored, and it's practically silent, even even more so. The third goal gets scored, and everybody's on their phones. Uh, and yeah. then at some point, the apathy turns into anger, and the fire hackstall chants break out. And, you know, you know, I, I guess in some way I would say, you know, take the energy in the fire hackstall, change that into a let's go Flyers, change that into something else, cheer for your team, and try to build them back up. And if ultimately they don't match the uh, the energy in the arena with energy on the ice then boo the hell out of them. That's well, you know, you're you, totally welcome to do it. You know, that's that's your generation's people out there. Just so you know, that's the skinny jeans wearing, 
See, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't believe you. Knows in their knows in their phone. Kind of. Like but, no, you know, because but, I I don't agree, Anthony. Because and and I think it's I think it's a lazy <laughs> narrative by uh, by you know people who are over the age of you know like twenty eight or thirty. But um, I the ticket sale like the ticket prices for these games. Who can yeah. afford to go? No, nobody can. You know, Hockey's and that I think that's world. the thing. That's the thing that I think hockey's really lost it is the the kind of fans who need to go to these games who need to fill the arenas they've been priced are, out for years are the, yeah are the people who've been priced out i should be able to go to a game maybe not a playoff game but i should be able to go to a game for 40 bucks and have a good seat why should i have to pay 150 dollars? why should i have to for lower level like in the 200s are you kidding me i'm not yeah. going to that i can't take i'm not going to go with like my wife and kids they could sit on our laps and it still wouldn't be worth going that's insane so then yeah. you, so you get this like apathetic crew who can afford to go and they're not building the atmosphere. So, like, I, I look. I know the Flyers will never do it. I mean, it's profits. But like, at some point, don't don't we? I don't know. Doesn't the NHL look at themselves in the mirror and just say like, this is nonsense? Like, this is insane. Like, even the Sixers, right? They play eighty-two games. They play forty-one at home. The Flyers play forty-one at home. Why are the ticket prices twice as much? You know, the Sixers why? are a better team. You know why? If you look at um, where most of the decisions are made in the NHL, it's New York and Toronto. Okay. That's where the two main offices are. What two cities have people who will spend ridiculous sums of money on sporting events? New York and Toronto. I mean, literally, to, to get a you know you know, you talk about $150 to go to a seat in the 200 level. The seats in Toronto are close to $1,000 a game. The seats in New York are around seven, six fifty, seven hundred dollars. Those lower level seats for playoff games, it's it's ridiculous, but people will pay it because there's more money in those cities, right? I mean, that's just they're more the cost of living in those cities is so much higher, so you get that. But then then you wonder there and you sit there and say, well, how come we're not drawing in Florida? How come we're not drawing in Raleigh, North Carolina? Um, you know, Nashville's an exception. How come are we not? How come we're not drawing in in Dallas? How come we're not drawing in Arizona? Well, because these are places where the sport is, um, I mean, where cost of living is much lower, and you're trying to charge them prices that are for New York and Toronto. You can't. You can't. You just can't do it. And that's part of the problem. I'll be honest with you. The Flyers' ticket number, and this is, the, this is a big credit to Sean Tilger, their ticket sales numbers are actually like in the bottom half of the NHL. They really, for such a big market, they keep their prices as you know relatively low, and I, I say that with knowing how high they are in comparison to the other teams. They're relatively low. That doesn't mean that the the you know the ticket business is correct in the league. It just means that the Flyers recognize that there are people in this city who want to go see the show, go see the games, who probably can't afford. Uh, a higher ticket price and they try to keep it at a level where it's like okay well we'll still fill the building with this you know what i'm saying as a as opposed to um well we know we can get some people to pay more money and we'll we'll charge more for the ticket so i give them credit for that but it's it's that this is not a flyers issue this is a league issue and it's just yeah and, and the league wonders why it constantly shoots itself in the foot and this is one of the ways it does that it's it's still the number four sport maybe even number five i mean the way um, you know, MLS is kind of growing that in this in this country. It's just it's 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 because of that. It's it's it hurts itself. The league hurts itself constantly with the decisions it makes. Well, I think that's a good spot to wrap up. Here's a five star review before we head out. TJ's oh. back tat says, "Go Flyers!" Five stars. Crosby won't score this whole series. I promise. 
By the way, you know what he's done? Not only has he scored five goals in this series, he scored on all three goalies the Flyers put in the game. <laughs> now that that is a sign of a great player. He's not he's not a schmuck like that uh, Giroux guy we have. Trade him, trade Voracek, trade Simmons, trade the whole crew. Trade them all. Trade them all. That'll change everything. Yeah, yeah. Trade them. Trade them. And Dave, Dave, I'm I'm just gonna. I know you're listening. Get the guys ready for Game Five. Don't embarrass us any more than you already have. And by the way, Dave, if you listen to Snow the Goalie, which we know you do, I want you in the beginning of the game to just strike a beautiful Captain Morgan pose because I want that to be the lasting image of this season as we go into the offseason. Anthony, we will uh, we'll talk again next week. Uh, maybe if, if something goes crazy, we'll put out an emergency podcast. But otherwise, we'll talk no. to the people yeah, next, I think, next I think Thursday. Yeah, I think we're doing a, uh, a season wrap-up next week. Yeah. Just saying. It's going to feel great. It's going to feel great. Uh, And and God bless America.